you know, those are four of the partners. The other partner is Ralph Stevens, who's uh, a good friend of mine for a long time. And, you know, we may, you know, I'll probably never leave, but, you know, <laughs> but it, it's the thing is, what do we need to do now to grow? And these are things that we're trying to think of today mm -hmm. to answer your question. What do we have to do today that and to get done so that tomorrow, when it's too late, it will already have been done? That's something that we have to that we have that we have to look at and be cognizant of and and work work toward that. Oil and gas today is more than exploration and production. It is more than the feet drilled or the hours of continuous pumping. The oil field is a group of people, companies, technologies, and institutions working towards providing the world with safe, affordable energy that is sustainable for the billions of people that depend on the success of the industry. The Oil Field 360 podcast is a 360 degree deep dive into the leaders of the industry who will provide listeners with a firsthand account of what it takes to build, maintain, and lead the energy business into the future. The Oil Field 360 podcast is brought to you by the following sponsors. Simmons Energy, a division of Piper Sandler, one of the largest and most experienced energy investment banking firms in the industry, offering M&A advisory, capital markets execution, and investment research. For more information, please visit SimmonsPSC.com. Lockton Global Energy and Marine, uncommonly different. Lockton is the world's largest privately owned insurance broker and risk finance advisor. Lockton's global energy expertise is centered in Houston and represents the largest concentration of energy specialists, clients, and experiential knowledge in the upstream, midstream, and downstream segments of the oil and gas industry. Visit Lockton.com for more information. Tomahawk Safety, a leading manufacturer of safety gloves ergonomically designed for superior fit, offering best-in-class protection and helping you combat the industry's toughest jobs. Tomahawk is also supporting our frontline healthcare workers by offering isolation gowns, gloves, masks, and other critical medical PPE. For more information, please visit TomahawkSafety.com. Range Valuation Services. Range is the only oil and gas focused valuation and appraisal firm in the financial services industry. Range specializes in appraising and valuing oil field equipment, machinery, inventory, and property, and customarily works directly with clients, lenders, investment bankers, insurers, and private equity and debt sponsors. For more information, please visit rangevaluationservices.com. Welcome to the Oilfield 360 podcast. This is the first episode coming to you live from the Fletcher Azul Tequila Studio in Houston, Texas. That's a mouthful, David. My name is uh, Josh Lowry. I'm one of the co-hosts of the Oilfield 360 podcast. I just referenced uh, the co-host extraordinaire, David DeRode. Thank you. Good to see you, Josh. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. You're busy. Busy. You uh, just got back in town. You've been traveling a little bit with uh, the family. A little bit, a little bit, a little business, a little family fun. Got out and, of the Houston uh, heat for a minute. Yeah, yeah. Getting to watch my eight-month-old start to crawl today. So that's uh, exciting and frightening at the same time. Yeah, it is. So. And anybody listening that has children knows that you, everything changes now. The moment the crawl comes, it's different. Oh, yeah. Well, this is an interesting group. Uh, we're going to have a couple people. We're going to introduce a, uh, a, two guests today. 
One of them is going to come on uh, halfway through our uh, uh, podcast, and it'll be a surprise guest. You'll have to wait. Um, but the first one we've got is is a guy that we have uh, asked for a while. He was actually supposed to come on a couple weeks ago. Uh, COVID-19 has affected many things, including our guest list lineup. Uh, but today's guest, Mr. David Prang, very nice to meet you. And this is, this is, I'm glad that happened, David. This is perfect. This is how busy my man, uh, David Rode is. Phones are going off. Thought I'd turn that sound no, off. No, I want that. We're not editing that, Jonathan. This is, this is the life of David Rode. Busy from start to go. But I'm going to do my intro again to you because you're important. Uh, the, so nice to meet you. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Uh, David Prang, President and CEO of Prang and Associates. Welcome. Well, thank you. Thank you. Enjoyed being here. Sorry I couldn't make it before, uh, but uh, happy to be here today. You you were going to be here with Congressman Dan Crenshaw when we interviewed him. That was going to be one of the days that we brought you in. So really, and also, I hate to say this, you, you missed the Fletcher Azul tequila day as yeah. well. So this is, are we, we're offering you espresso today. Yeah. Well, when's Fletcher Azul tequila today? Actually, that's, let's get this on record here because Aaron Marquez He's going to be pretty upset when he noticed that we've drank all of his tequila. <laughs> like there's nothing left for the guests. And uh, he's supposed to be sending us some more tequila and some tequila flutes and everything. Exactly. Yes. Now this yeah. is on record. So he's yeah. officially on the uh, on the mark here. Um, so we're going to get started here. David Road knows you better than I do. I've obviously met you. I've gone to a couple of your events. We're going to talk about that. But I want to start with a story that uh, is you're either going to like me very much after the, this interview, or you're going to be like, who is that guy? And the reason that I'm saying that was I went to, you had an event at uh, the Coronado Club a couple months back, and this was at the beginning of the downturn. And you had a part of your panel was Jim Wickland. Who all was on that panel? Uh, Jim Wickland, uh, Alan Brooks. Amy Nelson. And Amy Nelson. Yeah. It was a great panel. Yeah, uh, It really was. And there was a couple of, they were on the front end, in my opinion, of some of the downturn to come. This is pre-COVID, obviously. And um, it was an open mic Q&A uh, session, right? So I had the microphone and I asked a question. And um, and then I went back for it again. And one of your uh, partner's employees, uh, uh, John Goodrum, grabbed me and he says, don't do it. And I said, no, I've got something <laughs> interesting to say. And he, he kind of whispers in my ear. He says, David Prang, won't think you're funny. <laughs> and I said, uh, he goes, he doesn't like your kind of humor. And I said, noted. So what, by that is, this is, like I said, you're either going to, we're going to prove John wrong today or. That's easy. But, uh, there we go. Now, maybe we are on the same page here. So no, we, we, what we try to do, this was our second annual to have uh, like in the second or third week of January, just to kind of a an icebreaker, let's get the year going to see what's happened. Um, Jim Wicklin and Alan Brooks are two of our advisory directors. Uh, Amy's been a good friend. I think uh, David probably told you I was one of the founding board members of the NACD. And a couple of years ago, I asked Amy and she agreed and she's now on the board of the NACD with us. So uh, happy to have had the three of them as a panel. And you're right, they just, uh, it took things over. And of course, Wicklin and his humor, you know, can hold an audience anytime. You can't beat Wicklin. <laughs> so just for the audience, what is the NAC? Uh, National NACD is the National Association of Corporate Directors. Okay. So Very it's nice. a 35 year old plus or minus organization. That's really the premier 
body of, um, let's say, knowledge or uh, organization representing directors across the United States, public, private, and so on. Uh, we have 32, uh, excuse me, 22 chapters wow. uh, around the U.S. Houston, I'm proud to say, is the largest chapter in number of uh, members, number of sponsors, number of uh, full boards that are part of our chapter. We we are actually are now called the Tri-Cities Chapter because we have incorporated Houston, Austin, and uh, San Antonio as the three cities. And between us, we have somewhere around 1,500 members, about 110 companies that are uh, members of the organization, as well as, I believe, just under 50, like 46, 47 sponsors within the three cities okay. that support so, us. So there's a lot There's a lot I want to get to. Uh, you're, an, you're an entrepreneur. I, I want to hear the stories. And really, for those who don't know, what is Prang & Associates and how long has it been around? Well, Prang & Associates is an executive search firm. We specialize in the energy area. And we like to say we do the full value chain. We've got one group that is our oil group, which is upstream, midstream, downstream. We have another group, which is oil field equipment and services. And then we have a third group, which is a power group. So, you know, we jokingly say we do every, we do executive search for everything from the wellhead to the wall socket Okay, on there. We have offices here in Houston, which is our the office I founded 40 years ago. Uh, we opened in London in February 1990. And four years ago, we recruited uh, a gentleman to become our uh, partner and power leader, Mark Silek, And he uh, is in Chicago. So we have a small little office in Chicago. Mark's the former vice president of strategy and planning for Exelon. And what we've tried to put together are people that know the industry, under, you know, know there's 42 gallons in the barrel, know the di you know difference between a geologist and a, a petrophysicist. So when a client asks us to do something, we understand what their issue is and we can deliver the results and find the individual that will deliver the results that they need. I wanna know how many people in our audience just found out that there's 42 gallons in a barrel. <laughs> I, you know, and it's, it's, a, it's a testament to you know, when I have young people that come and ask me for help or guidance, whatever, I always tell them, try to learn all about your business. Don't just learn about the product that you're selling, right? The one that your your boss makes you memorize. Learn everything you possibly can about the, the business. You mentioned, and David, you can jump in, but I'm I'm hyped up on caffeine. I'm on a roll. You're, you're kind of on the caffeinated roll, and, and you like to hear yourself speak. <laughs> I, love I love my voice. I love to hear you roll, so keep going. Well, so, you know, one of the things that I was, when I was doing research on you is, and we, we tend to peak highest in the entrepreneur category on the podcast. So I care, I, I care deeply about the stories of the entrepreneur. 1980, I, you know, I don't know how old you were in 1980, but you probably looked at this going, this is going to be great. 5,000 wells or, or yeah. uh, drilling rigs. Let's do this. And you've had a rough, or not a rough run, but you've had quite a, an eventful run, I would say. Well, let me just a little back up even before the forming of yeah. Prang & Associates. I started... Uh, I grew up in northern Illinois, southern Wisconsin, and hired on actually with Shell Oil out of, I went to Marquette University uh, in their downstream marketing area in Chicago. And then in uh, 1972, they were opening up the information center out by the Astrodome. And our group, the group that I was in in Chicago was consolidated. And it was kind of like, if you want a paycheck, you're moving which to, we Houston. Did, to Houston, which we did. 
And um, I had started an MBA in Chicago, completed it the following year. And I guess I was just too uh, aggressive and looked and you know, decided to look around and wound up the short stories. I wound up in the search business working for a local firm. And then one of the big international firms recruited me into them in September of 77. My boss left, uh, formed an affiliation with a company or a firm out of the UK. They hired me to, uh, in late 78 to be the global energy search leader, which I did in October 20th, 1980. Decided, uh, my dad had his own business, so I decided I want to do it on my own. So I opened up Prang and Associates. So your your dad is, had his own, what type of business did he have? Uh, he had a vending business uh, okay. in, the, in the Chicago area. And um, he uh, was successful at that. And then technology changed and he decided that, uh, uh, and had an offer to, uh, and a buyout, which he did. And he worked worked for them, this other firm until he retired. And uh, so I, I guess the entrepreneurial genes were there and yeah. the rest is history. I like it. I think that's awesome. So I think where Josh was going, I'm glad we went back to to kind of get a where you're from and, and how you got to Houston. So obviously starting a firm in the 80s and then, of course, um, you know, living through the 80s, having gone through that, I think what Josh was alluding to, obviously, that was a that was a tough time for Texas in the in the in the country. Tell us about the early days of Prang and Associates and and having your own firm, not being affiliated with a large national firm. I know that's kind of scary for some folks sometimes to break away from a group where there's a belief that there's resources they wouldn't have elsewhere, that people won't give them the credibility. So tell well, us a little bit about that. I'm fortunate. I had some clients that believed in me. And when you're doing search work, a lot of companies look at the big firms and say, I'm, I'm going to use this one or that one. When re in reality, what you're getting is the individual in that firm who's doing something for it. It's like an attorney, you know, a law firm, you, who is the attorney that's gonna handling my case, doing my work? And you wanna get someone that you know and you trust uh, that you can rely on that'll get the job done. And that's the same way it was in search. Uh, I was very fortunate. We started out, uh, did very well. 1985, early 85, actually I had my first partner and that worked and was going well until January of 86 when the, the uh, bottom fell out of the oil industry and we scrambled. Um, I mean, there were times when uh, payables went, you know, 120 days. Um, you know, we just made the interest payments on, you know, the uh, credit cards. And <laughs> my partner and I missed four, four payroll checks that year. Uh, but we made it through there. He, in mid-87, decided to do something else. And so we were just as things were coming back and what came back first was the downstream, the refining, because the feedstock costs with low oil was there. And then as they were uh, had great crack spreads and were, were making and building up a cash uh, a reserve, they started doing projects and building out and then engineering construction companies needed people to Sat to serve and satisfy the needs of the downstream. So that had going. And then as the downstream started using more and more oil, then the oil oil started picking up. But one of the interesting things, you know, you talk about um, things that happen in, in life that, that uh, you know, you know, the fickle finger of fate or whatever you want to say. Um, 
I was, uh, I, I grew up and I'm, I'm Catholic. And one of the things that happened in 19, in the late 80s, um, another gentleman by the name of Andy Hill, who was Hill Petroleum, some people may remember it. They, he built the Crotts Springs Refinery over in Louisiana back in 78. And Andy and I were counting team number six for our Sunday church collection. And counting team number and, six, I like it. Yeah, <laughs> and and well, what they had, they had, we had thirteen teams at our church, and so once a quarter, you gave up a Sunday to come in and count the collection, and it was third quarter of '87, and we're we're counting, and Andy and we, he and I had the best system down anyway, but that's another story. <laughs> but anyway, we're we're counting, and he looks at me and he says, um, "David, can you help me?" I said, "Sure, Andy. What do you need?" So while I'm, he was at, at that time working with a joint venture uh, with Total and a European trader. And he said, I've got a project going on in the Soviet Union down in Baku. We're going to build a water treatment plant because what the three refineries in Baku were doing was taking the waste, dumping it in the Caspian. That was affecting the sturgeon population, which is affecting caviar, and the Russians are very concerned. So they came up with the idea, we'll build a water treatment plant, give us the water, give us your, your waste, we'll put clean water into the Caspian, we'll give you bank the, back the reclaimed uh, hydrocarbons, you process that, and then whatever comes out of that, we split 50-50 and it doesn't cost you anything. Well, the Russians loved it because they didn't have to come up with anything. And that, so Andy says to me, I need, can, I need you, uh, or can you recommend to me a search firm that can help me find someone uh, over in the Soviet Union. And I said, Andy, I don't think I can. Uh, I thought about it, I said, I don't think I can. Let me th you know, think about it. Five minutes later, I felt like the kid with the ice cream cone on the forehead. I said, Andy, the reason I can't help you, KGB doesn't allow search firms in the Soviet Union. But I said, look, we know you uh, well, what you want in you know, he and I have talked about the project. And one of our former uh, employees, partners, used to be with the CIA. So I said, why don't we try to find what you're looking for, which was a Russian-speaking, Western-thinking individual who would be willing to go back, who was malleable enough and his mindset was commercial, but yet he spoke Russian and could deal with what was going on at the time and to make things happen. And um, so he said, fine, go ahead and do it. And as we're doing it, he said, by the way, all of a sudden the refinery up in Ukta, which is about 600 miles north of Moscow, they would like the same, to bus to build the same type of a plant. Can you find us someone up there? And we found individuals for both place. One was a, a uh, Krishna Pemsing, who is a, a Paki by heritage, born in Mauritania, PhD chemical engineer from Baku, working for a company here in the U.S. We got him to go back, and then we found a Brit to go up to Ukta. So we were successful with those. So we started going around to other people saying, you know, let us help you with your, and your needs as in Russia as the wall came down and the oil industry started going into Siberia and so on. And um, we wound up opening the first Western search office in Moscow in October 92. Wow. Uh, and um, that's really cool, actually. Yeah, yeah it was. Yeah. We, we did over 
we were we closed it in 14. I mean, it just it, it's not a, a good place to do business now. But uh, back then, it, it was kind of like the Wild West. It was fun going back. It was it was interesting, uh, exciting, and, and and we wound up probably doing oh 500, 550 of our 3,700 engagements we've done in our history. Over in the in uh, the former Soviet Union, I think we've worked in ten or eleven of the fifteen republics that are now that were the former Soviet Union. Yeah. Uh, and one of the most interesting assignments <clears throat> was if the if you remember Michael Hordakovsky and Yukos and the trouble he got in with Putin, we did the search and and uh, replaced him. We were able to get Steve Tiedi to leave Conoco and go in and become the president. And actually, uh, Mikhail was still there. And uh, I've got interesting stories about how that came about. But it's just we we did a lot of that and. Stephen, my son, was responsible for what went on on the day-to-day -day basis in Russia and met a very lo lovely, lovely young lady uh, who is now his wife, given my wife and I a, just a wonderful, lovely granddaughter. So, Heck of a tennis yeah. player, too. Who? The, oh, the granddaughter. Yeah. yeah. Not, not, not Stephen. <laughs> no, 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 no. But anyway. Well, you know, it's and we're going to talk about some of the, the logistics of the family it, you know, because it's not a family business; it's a business that has family, and that's how, at least how I perceive it as. And uh, we, you know, we run. I, I came from a family business, so I know there's a big difference. I asked you have a guy that works with you, uh, Steve Raven, right? And I said to him, because to me, when I when I kept learning about executive search, it just sounded like it was a big network. And I said, well, what is? I mean, and please don't take this as disrespectful to the, because I learned asking this question. I said, what's the big deal though? You're just basically saying there's a job opening. You find a guy, you say, hey, take that job. And Steve went into it. He's like, no, it's not that. You have to know the personalities of these people. You have to know, is this guy going to fit the culture? Is that culture this? How how willing is he to, to X or she to X, Y, or Z? So I know that there's a lot of variables that go into finding a person that's the right fit. I mean, is that, how did, how did you, is there a, is there a method or is it, uh, you know, put your thumb in the air and, and how does the wind blow? How did, how did you come up with this guy is going to be perfect? This girl would be great over there. I mean, how did you come up with that? Well, or how do you come up with that? Well, first of all, you have to really. If, if, now you're talking about the search process and the course. Well, just, just because it's so, you really are when you're offering someone a job and making not making the move to Moscow, for instance, but when they move, like that's a huge move for a, both a company and a person, right? So it to me, it's it's. I guess the process matters, but really, I'm interested in how do you examine the person for the role. How does that? How do you look at that? I think first of all, what you what if you think about it and put it in the vernacular, we're marriage makers. You have a a client, a company, a groom, who needs a bride, whether it's to run the company, run finance, marketing, whatever. You have to make you want to make a marriage where there's happiness, success, productivity, and there's growth and and value created. That's what you have to do. So you, it's not just understanding what's needed, and in sometimes in, in a, the, an easy way to describe it is someone says, "Find me a CFO." You say, "Okay." Then we say, "What do you want?" And we we try to use it and say on a scale of one to, one to ten, one being the green eye shade account. He knows the debit and credit. He's got Gap and all the regulations down. 
to the investment banker, you know, who doesn't know his lebits from credits and needs to be backed up by a good chief accounting officer, where is that person needed? Is it the balance sheet or the income statement? What is, you know, what are the issues that you're having? And is it a new system coming in? And then, so you really have to understand what the client wants and why does he want it and who the client is. Because you could go out and find the best person in the world, but if, if the body rejects the organ because there isn't mm -hmm. a fit, it makes no sense. Great. So what we, have to, what we have to do is really sit down, do an extensive uh, interview, spend time with the client, understand what they want. Because when I come to you with a candidate, I'm saying there's four things. Number one, the person's got the capabilities to do your job. He's got the skills and he'll get the job done and be productive. Number two, they're recruitable. And I can talk about stories where I know candidates that I've approached, they love to go to lunches with me, they'll go to dinners with the, with the clients, but they're not moving. So is is the person, can we get the individual? You can take me to lunch anytime you want. I know, okay, but you're never gonna meet a client, Damn so it. anyway, but that's all right. Number three <laughs> is, you, the, what are the issues to recruitability? Uh, especially if there's a move involved. Uh, do I uh, have school-aged children? How does that can affect them? I've had one where, you know, this person's son was a junior, he was a star in the football team, and to move to Tulsa, from Houston, he was going to commute. Well, the culture of that company that he was going to go to was we work uh, Fridays and Saturdays till about 11, and they were across the street from Southern Hills. They would go over and play golf. He couldn't do that. And I talked to the chairman. I said, I don't, he's the best fit technically from a, a capability, but he's going to ruin your culture and you're going to, you don't want, to change your culture for one person on that. So what, but what are the issues to move? School-aged children, um, wife has a career, I'm taking care of aging parents, uh, I've got buyouts. What are the issues so that it's kind of like if you're playing poker, I'm loading the deck in your favor so you can address, if this is the person we want, you're aware of and you're willing to address the issues to get them to yes. And then the, the last thing is fit. Does that person come in? And it, I met Shell, started my career with the big company, and I've recruited people out of Exxon and Chevron and big companies. But I'm not going to take someone right out of an Exxon or Shell and put them into a small independent oil and gas company when that individual, as capable as, as they are, have a management style and are used to being supported by a cast of thousands. Well, now they got to come in and make their own coffee. I mean, you make a very good espresso. Thank you very so much. So as far as that goes, but <laughs> you know, but but seriously, so the editor and the president, you got that mind. going for you. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it it's it's making that it's making that match. And um, if you if I ever lose sight of that fact of being a marriage maker, I'll turn in my union card, and I don't intend to do that for a let long me, time. Let me ask one question, then I, we're going to transition. Is there any difference between and I, don't talk about the oil price it, just the year between 1985 and today i mean is your is your methodology still the same i mean are you looking at the same things today that you were back then and if yes great if not what has changed in the in your world and the way you have to do business today versus 20 years ago 
well, 20 years ago. Or, yeah. If, if I'm off by 30, a decade today, 30, by the way. If 35. I just, I said 1980 was 30 years ago, a minute ago, David. This is yeah. not my day. Well, I think if you look at 80, at the 85, 6, 7 period to today, I mean, you know, they're both, you know, deep, deep in, in the in the doldrums. I think some of the differences, if I if I want to look at it from a macro standpoint, 1985, oil went to $8 a barrel. Why? The world was using 55 million barrels of oil a day. They could produce 77 million. You had this overhang that, and the only way to get that overhang taken care of was to increase demand. And the demand was only increasing like one, 1.2 million, 1.5 million barrels a year. So it took time to work that off. And on top of that, the oil industry had uh, was going through, had just finished some s significant changes where you had Boone Pickens and the other green mail and things like that. Companies like Gulf and City Service, uh, they just went away because um, they were acquired by other people. So, and you had a layoff of one is somewhere in the neighborhood in the energy industry, like 1.2 million people. And you just, I mean, there was just nothing going on. T today, it's its bad, but we, you know, and go back to January 1 when we had our, our, our event at the Coronado Club. The world was using 100 million barrels of oil a day and they were producing 100 million barrels. And oil was at about $55, $60 a barrel. So what happened? COVID comes along and the demand drops to, I've heard, 80 million barrels a day. I mean, you could get different numbers, right. but it dropped. And yes, production's come down, you know, OPEC plus, you know, it's come down eight, nine, 10 million barrels. We've dropped a million and, or two million barrels in the US and, you know, a few million around the world. So we're, we're, we're getting closer to balance. But if we get rid of COVID and we get back on airplanes, go to Disneyland, cruise ships, uh, out to the movie theaters, to out to dinner, and start using it, we'll get production and back up. Maybe not to 100, maybe it goes to 95, 97, but we can eat up and get back to equilibrium when the world does and we get rid of this virus. So I think where there it was no- unbelievable. There was no, yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> but in 85, six, seven, the only way to get it was to increase production. Today, we can do that by getting back to normal. So that from a from a, a to ask yourself is our process different then than today? We're we're more sophisticated. Um, we have much more computing power. You have the internet and the the ability to, to reach people. Uh, whether in even like going on, if I want to talk to someone, going on LinkedIn mm -hmm. and being able to just send someone to LinkedIn and, and here a day, two, three days later, I'd love to talk to you. A quick word from our sponsors, and then we're right back to the show. Prang & Associates, the global energy search leader. Prang & Associates is the world's leading executive search firm totally dedicated to the energy industry. Over our 39 years, we have assisted more than 750 management teams and boards in 75 countries and conducted nearly 3,600 engagements. For more information, please visit prang.com. Daniel Energy Partners, in-basin research you can trust. 
a leading provider of U.S. oil field research, known for its original boots-on-the-ground research approach, as well as its famous barbecue events. Daniel Energy Partners utilizes both its extensive network of top oil field professionals and frequent in-basin field tours to provide real-time market intelligence. Visit DanielEP.com for more information. Galtway Marketing. Answer this question. What makes your company different? You have seven seconds to catch a customer's attention. Galtway Marketing can build your brand and craft your message for maximum impact across all your marketing efforts. Visit galtwaymarketing.com slash 0360 to bring your company into the 21st century. Thank you to our sponsors. And now back to the show. I've always, I've always uh, kind of gravitated to you guys I'm in my own personal business, thinking about associating with, with folks that understand the business, which is so frustrating if to um, work with somebody that doesn't understand the business. I think it's, it's always given you a unique advantage versus the other search firms that, that are out there. But given kind of the changing dynamic, and I think maybe Josh was – kind of touching on this a little bit there's been a lot more shareholder activism a lot of a lot of emotional response with various social issues are you seeing uh much of of that driving a lot of the search requests for executives and board members in in your business day more so than in years past oh very very much so i mean it it today you you look at um and, and I'm, i'll steal a little wickland's thumber uh thunder but you know, he, you know, he and I had a discussion and, and, you know, it was his idea, not mine. But he said, if you look at prior to 2012, 13, uh, who were the investors in the energy industry? These were the growth investors. Oil industry was going all over the world. In fact, we were, Stephen and I were at a, at a, um, uh, an award ceremony and, uh, Doug Suttles, who's uh, Oventive's CEO, was receiving an award, and he was saying that he was in the Pentagon talking to some people, and they were amazed at the oil industries because they were saying, "You go to places we won't go," and uh, you know, as far as that is, so you you have um, uh, a lot a lot of change that's going on. But what's driving today is the growth investors had one problem with the oil industry, dry holes. A dry hole would come along and, oh my, I've wasted money. And right. what do I do? So what did they do when shale came along? They said, wait a minute, don't have to worry about dry holes anymore. We're farming, we're manufacturing. So when that happened, the people said, well, wait a minute, we, we want growth. So they started going to the fang stocks. So who backfilled? The value investor. And the value investor comes in and says, I want returns. I'm, you know, I've got widows and orphans and, and insurance companies that I'm are giving me their money. I have to give them returns so that they can live. The oil industry isn't like that. And, and coupled with that, in 12, 13, 14, until uh, the Saudis pulled the plug around Thanksgiving time, People are out spending thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars or more for acreage in West Texas, and really put the cost of poker and and production over the top. And when the prices fell from a hundred or whatever, you know, one hundred and twenty, whatever it was, down to forty or less, 
or and it came back and settled in the fifties, a lot of the small oil companies that were funded by private equity or even went out and, and sold stock, they can't uh, and you know they can't survive and are struggling. So what's coming behind that? First of all, you have the hedge funds that are buying uh, the hedge funds that are buying up the debt. That in if you look at what happened in late 14, 15, 16, they became the shareholders. Mm-hmm. And but there was still value in there. Today, most of your debt or a lot of the debt is, is there is in RBLs. And they have the first, they're the first in in line when it comes to being paid. And how much is left now, especially at oil, you know, in the 30s, that a value is there for them to, to come along. So Yes, hedge funds uh, and and private equity are looking at things. Um, we were uh, fortunate, and and uh, I think one of the things that you know I'm proud of, even though I couldn't mention it at the time, when Elliot, one of the uh, activists, mm-hmm. or they're called, but I'm very I'm proud to say we helped them put together the slate for their board for Hess. When they were going in and putting an alternative slate for five directors, they had seven and two of them were uh, non-energy, five were energy and we were we found three of the five energy people for them. But one of the reasons that we were able to get people interested is that they did a 70 page, it was like a proxy, but it was a paper, a thesis, on why things needed to change at Hess, and they were absolutely right. And things have changed. Hess is no longer in the downstream in refining. They're no longer in the marketing. That's gone. They're in the upstream, and now look what they've done. They've they've taken, they've consolidated some of their global positions. They were too, too spread in there, and now they've got things like Suriname and other places that are really creating value for shareholders. And if you look at where Exxon or Chevron was back uh, seven, eight years ago, in their price compared to where Hess is, uh, the Hess stock has gained a lot more value than you know. I think some of the bigger international oil companies now. Mm-hmm. So it, it, there has been an effect. Well, so now's as good a time. We got to bring in our special guest. This is, this is. Uh, I feel like. I'm, I'm Ricky Lake. I'm bringing Trapman. someone. Yeah, I'm bringing someone from behind the curtain. So, David, we're bringing somebody you know very well. <laughs> no, I'm just I'm kidding. Obviously, he's been sitting here with us the entire time. Uh, it, Stephen Prang is your son, right. uh, the next generation. It's cool that you, I didn't realize your father was an entrepreneur as well. So the the third line of lineage of entrepreneur family is now coming into the business. Your daughter works for you as well. Right. And your other son worked for you for a period of time as well. So you've had the the family has been in the business at one time or another. But Stephen, you're a you're the, that's how I became familiar with Prang and Associates was through you. How long have you been welcome by the way. Thank you. How are you? Glad to be here. Glad. I'm glad to finally join the podcast. Yeah. Well it's very selective. Yeah. Uh, you've got it takes a lot to get into this room. I think I was down the line. That's all right. <laughs> Well, it's uh, David has David Drode has some pretty tough standards to get through. I, I mean, I'm lucky to be here. So, well, it, honestly, though, thanks for coming on here. You guys, the Prang and Associates are a big sponsor of the podcast. We do appreciate you guys. Um, this is something that we really have been wanting to do for a while. Um, but 
I had talked to you guys before we started with this and I did, I wanted to hear your story about how you got started, what was it like to build it? But it is a unique story to be able to pass on a business and uh, to the next generation and you know, your son and your daughter working for you now. Um, so I really kind of want to get both of your perspectives on what does it look like? How is this transition going? And not to say that we're transitioning away from you right now, David, by any means, but um, you know, as, as new leadership comes in and takes over the company, what does that look like for you, Stephen? How active are you? How busy are you? And uh, what is it like working in at Praying and Associates? Well, you can see the passion in the stories he tells. I grew up. You know what I'm noticing business. is the detail of the story that he's remembering from 1985, for instance. That's what I'm hearing when I'm I'm listening to you talk. It's been like that since day one. I can remember dinners in high school and telling stories about making a search and. I, you know, I could have cared less at the point in time, but you know, now you see the passion. It's, it's fun to follow. I mean, did, it really is. Did you want to come into the business when you were younger? You know, to say I did would not be a hundred percent true. I, I, what I cared about was carrying on the lineage that he had started. Um, it could have been, you name it business. And I probably would have been interested in right. it. search itself. I really enjoy now. I don't think there's anybody that has the passion that, <coughs> That he does when it comes to search. I mean, you could just get it from the stories that he's pulling together, uh, and he's got a thousand more. We could be here all day, but it's a it's a fantastic job. And as as Dad said, making that marriage and really putting in quality candidates and seeing them be effective in companies is really rewarding. So it, it is nice to hear you talk about carrying that lineage. I worked for my dad for a period of time. It's is there anything that you want to expand upon that the foundation that he's built. Continuing to grow, continuing to be a name brand, continue what we consider to be the, the best the best in show as far as search companies go. We're, uh, we feel like we have the best network, we perform the best process. We know our clients better than anybody else. And so continuing on that, I'd like to, you know, we've got partners, you mentioned John, Dave mentioned Mark earlier, uh, my sister. We want to continue to build the practice and be here for another 40 years. 40 years is no joke. You know, it's uh, it's a family. Your your wife, you were talking about her. She's she's Italian. We talked about our espresso love of espresso here at, at the uh, Oilfield Three Hundred and Sixty podcast. It is a everybody on board mentality, and I'm curious to know what that you know batten down the hatches type mentality. How much of that is present in your in your day to day operation of the company today? I mean, willing to do whatever it takes to make it succeed is that is that kind of an open or an unspoken attribute of the company? If you're not willing to do whatever it takes, then you won't last long at Pring and Associates. That's just the way it is. The guy over here on my left is the first one in, last one out every day. So Still know, to this day. Till this day. So, And that's a testament to, to him and why the firm's been successful. Uh, it's, it's, in, it's incredibly important. I that's think cool. um, it's neat to see, and we're definitely glad to have you guys as partners of uh, of this. You know, Josh and I started this as kind of a hobby to tell the story of uh, the oil field as we know it, upstream, midstream, downstream, and the in the people that that make up the oil field. Because the world, as we were talking earlier before we kicked this thing off, you know, there's so many people just think that oil just comes out of the ground, or you know, or gasoline just comes out of the ground and and uh, there's more to it than that, in that most people are highly motivated, definitely pay it forward, giving folks, want to want to be good stewards in the environment, et cetera, give everybody a chance. Hard work is usually recognized and, and, and rewarded. 
Um, so it's it's fun having uh, having you guys as a sponsor and having the guests that we've had to date and the guests that we will have coming on. Uh, most of those guests are are folks that will need your services or y'all have provided work for in the yeah. past or have, have suggested as board members. And so one of the questions that we're, we're uh, before we introduce Stephen, I was wanting to talk a little bit more for both, kind of both of you guys, kind of going back to the kind of the search dynamics. Certainly seen a push for greater diversity on boards and in management teams and uh, some of the some of the discussion around pay equality and inequality are or are you getting a lot of engagements looking to to add some kind of diversity away from where these companies have been historically based on some of the social pressures that I think exist, uh, investor pressures that exist, but then also just people being interested in looking to get, you know, diversity of thought, make sure that they they are kind of checking all the boxes at the same time, not not leaving anything uh, off the table in terms of, you know, additional external thought that might be ultimately helpful taking them to the next level. Well, let me just, um, I've been blessed and been fortunate. I've had the opportunity to serve on six public boards. I was going to ask and you. And I've been non-gov chair of four and each one of them diversities has come up. And, uh, I mentioned that I, in 2003, I helped found the, National Association for Corporate Directors chapter here in Houston. I served five and a half years as president and two years after that as chairman and have seen um, a lot of things come up and, and they the NACD did a uh, Blue Ribbon Commission report, which is a, a white paper on diversity. And the conclusion on that, it, when it came right down to it, Diversity is really should be skill sets. Mm -hmm. That said, that people of different gender or different uh, race are wired differently than you are. And that thought process, as you mentioned, David, is something that is valuable today and you have to look at it. Um, one <coughs> of the companies I was on the board of for nine years was Caldine. We had 1,100 plus divers, four of them were women. We dealt with p the managers who ran rigs in the Gulf of Mexico, which was our, uh, uh, until Macondo was our biggest uh, market. All of these were, were primarily were males, white males. Diversity of thought from a, uh, let's say from a gender difference wasn't necessary, wasn't that important yet. I could tell you that a, a person I, I consider a friend, Irv Hockaday, who is the head uh, or presiding director of Ford, when he went on SD Lauder's board, you uh, wondered why, you know, I'm a white guy in this, but yet SD Lauder, if you can believe it, didn't have a female on the board till 1996. And you would go, I don't believe this, but in, in I think people are coming to this. Europe is dictating. You have to have X amount of women on the board. Scandinavia has to be 40% women. I think some of that may be a little overreactionary, but if you look at boards that have a balance, whether it's gender diversity or ethnic diversity, I think are doing very, very well. And, you know, the board, Amy Nelson on the board of Apache, yeah. you know, she, you know, she's one of- We also yeah. put her on Helix. 
and on, and on, yeah. on Helix board. I mean, you, you, you see that, but that though, especially those that have, you know, a diverse background tend to think better, do better. Yeah. So yeah. it is important. Let me add in, since I focus on oil field service and equipment, which is probably even less diverse than the operating side, um, it is still a train of thought or, or still something that people are trying to get buy-in. There's some more sophisticated companies that are there already, but there's a lot of yeah. them that have a long way to go. But, but I'm a big well, believer in the content of character. Well, let, me, versus, let me make a quick uh, I'm sorry to cut that yeah. I want to jump on that to give a plug to uh, PISA because you mentioned that uh, you know, yeah. you're know you in the oil field services. Yeah. So Petroleum uh, Equipment and Services Association run by Leslie Beyer, they've they've who, actually- who, kept, who we placed in the PISA. Yeah, yeah, who Leslie was placed by, Praying Associates. She just joined a board. She just joined her board. first public board. Leslie's, I mean- She's great. She is great, right? I mean, that was, you guys, which is phenomenal. You, that's a perfect position. Like she changed the face of PISA. You Absolutely. guys have done a great job on that, or she did a great job on that. And that's a perfect marriage, if you will, for the, the business. But they commissioned a study on diversity within the oil field services sector. And it was less, far less actually than some of the ENP numbers. So I, I want to give that plug to the listener. If you're interested in this, you should reach out to PISA.org and, uh, and Leslie in particular and her team to find out some of the stats on that. Because the numbers, you know, look, we're... Um, you know, I'm not 24, but I'm not 84 either, right? So somewhere in between there, there is there is a leadership uh, responsibility that that we have. This podcast, it's global. It's in 80 countries. It's you know we're going to be we're one of the largest podcasts. I I said we're the largest, and all of my podcast competitors got pretty upset about it. But I digress. So the but the point is is we have a mouthpiece here to talk about things that can influence change and. Um, so, you know, it, there is some, some need for that. I do want some of the comments. Well, given what, the world, where the world's going today um, and all the issues that are going on, I mean, it's, uh, you know, diversity has been up until, I'd say, the recent current events, people considered gender diversity the way to go. It's just an easier, easier route. A, a, a white female, was, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, there was, well, just there's a bigger population in the oil, the oil and gas industry, of females than um, than gender ethnicity. Right. That's going to change. I truly believe. Actually, we've actually heard from a couple clients uh, that have said their next board member will be ethnic diversity, not gender diversity. So, David Pring, how much has ESG influenced some of the these searches? I mean, I, I assume that's an active conversation that companies are talking about from whether it be a director's position or C-suite, right? I mean, is that something that people are actively talking about now? Oh, definitely. I mean, you know, you look at BlackRock, the largest fund out there, you know, their CEO comes out and says, if, if you're not involved or concerned about ESG, we're not investing you. And they, they control what, $6 trillion? So you've got to listen to what's going on. Do you and think they're interested in a podcast? Might be. By the way, this is why John told me He's, he said, David's not going to like your jokes. <laughs> no, they might not. No. See, pr we're proving them wrong. Yes, right? we are, John. On that. But no, I, ESG, ESG is important. But October 15th last year, one of our clients that we did, um, Stephen and I were involved in bringing John Gibson over to Flotech. 
and one of the Flowtech board members is on the Ira Milstein Center at Columbia Law School, and they were doing a program here, and they did it at the Coronado Club on October 15th on ESG. And I think people really have to think and, and decide what ESG is because they had uh, a lady on there from one of the big funds and you know she said you know ESG and then so what are some examples and she gave two examples one example was the problem that Walmart if you remember years ago I say years ago maybe six eight ten years ago the rollback prices you'd have a price and all of a sudden here click yeah. click and it rolled back and uh, that was a problem and the other one was the uh, and and the problem there was it wasn't communicated. Uh, to the people and the and the people uh, lost interest in and they weren't as productive at Walmart as they were before. The other one was talking about um, Glencore went out and bought a mining company and spent billions of dollars doing this. And I think it was a copper mine. I mean, I can't remember exactly, but it was a mineral company and they bought it at the height of the price. And the price has gone down and it seriously has now uh, hurt Glencore. So afterwards, I said, you're telling me that the human resources department misjudging um, what the employees might think about the rollback because what they did was kind of freeze prices, excuse me, salaries so that they could maintain an earnings per share. Oh, that's what you're talking about. And, and, and because the planning department at Glencore misjudged the future prices of copper or whatever the product was, that's bad ESG. Sounds to me like bad business. And, and, and you're, what you're using is kind of like the emperor's new clothes. You're ma masking bad business with ESG. And she stopped and thought about it. And she agreed with me at the end of the day on there. Now, environmental, I get. We've got issues there that need to. Governance, we need to look at that. And if before we started this, I told you about a, uh, I had gone to a boarding high school and we're running around with uh, a series of emails going now with some of my classmates about what, what are some of the issues are. And they're talking about management's doing this, doing that, pumping each other's salary. And no one's mentioned the board of directors. And that's where governance is. And governance has to start at the top, which is one of the things, from my experience, I'm, had, I'm happy that I'm able to bring that when we get involved with searches. We're doing a lot on the, uh, you know, as far as diversity. Uh, one of the things last year, uh, Toby Rice and the general counsel approached us and we helped them put together their board of directors that defeated, got over an 80% vote, the incumbents at EQT. And the three people that we brought on were all diversity, all ladies, one a geoscientist, one an engineer, and the third an attorney from three different backgrounds, but they've blended. And now the person, uh, Lydia Beebe, who was the attorney, former uh, assistant corporate counsel at general counsel at Chevron, who's retired and on a couple boards, last week or the week before, Lydia was made chairman of the board. That's fantastic. So, I mean, and but it's understanding what they wanted. 
The other thing I'm proud of, and, and Laura was the one who helped lead this thing. Laura Prang. Laura Prang, which came in and, and, and we, we got this thing done. They had a time frame with which to put up an alternative slate. And they came in and looked at us and said, can you find us three people to come in and do this, vet them, get their uh, background checks, their criminal civil background checks done and, and everything else in 26 days? And we did it. But that was the dedication of, of the team that, that, you know, Laura and the rest of the team that, you know, that worked on it. But I think, you know, that's what you get. And that's, you asked about succession and leadership. That's what I'm proud of. Yeah, I'm, you know, I love Stephen and Laura and what they're doing. I'm proud of them as a partner, not because of their last name, because of who they are and what they've done and the professionals that they are. As I am John Goodrum, who we picked on earlier. I love, by the way, I love John. I think he's excellent. We do, we do too. Yeah. And, you know, and Mark Silek, who's our partner, runs our power group. You know, those are four of the partners. The other partners, Ralph Stevens, who's uh, a good friend of mine for a long time. And, you know, we may, you know, I'll probably never leave, but, you know, <laughs> but it, it's the thing is, what do we need to do now to grow? And these are things that we're trying to think of today mm -hmm. to answer your question. What do we have to do today that and to get done so that tomorrow, when it's too late, it will already have been done? That's something that we have to that we have that we have to look at and be cognizant of, and and work work toward that. You know, I I I got excited there. Jonathan is our our guy behind the the, the mirror back there. Jonathan's excellent. He's that's great. A window, not a mirror. Well, you know, you're right. It we were trying to put reflective <laughs> glass back there, but I, I messed it up. Yeah. But Jonathan's going to make us all sound great. And one of the things that he'll do. Uh, if you have ever listened to our podcast is at the beginning of it for 30 seconds, there's kind of like this, this tidbit that's really interesting. And then he goes, it goes into the introductions that last little bit as you're talking, I, I don't see how that's not the, uh, the introduction. It's just the passion, David, that you're talking about is just, it's, it feels just evident as you just, you want to make these marriages work. I mean, you want to find a good place. And that's what comes across to me as I'm listening to this. It's, it's really an interesting story when you can make something. And again, I don't mean to make search sound boring by any means, but it's, it's just, you know, it's such the, your product is people and to get passionate behind it. it it's very clear that you've, you have a ton of passion for this. Well, I, so. I, I do. And some of the people that I've met in, met in the industry doing work for, or have been candidates have become some of my best friends. And, you know, and that's one of the side benefits of what, of what we do and, and get to know people. Look, Two things make a company go, people and capital. And good people are going to get capital. And it's our job to get the good people who will get the capital to get a business to succeed. You want to give us our... Uh, so like I said, we always ask two questions. Yeah. One of them is, have you ever been on a podcast? And I think we were talking in the kitchen. You have not been on a podcast, you've, but you've been obviously been interviewed for, for years which just the, the, what I'm getting at is this is the best podcast you're ever going to go on. That's what I just really was ultimately trying to get to. And then our second question is, uh, go ahead, David. I'll, I'll let you lead our second one. And yeah, no, it's i uh, I'll do a little bit better job. Last time I asked this question, I had a few tequilas, but uh, <laughs> you know, if you could, if you could go back 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, starting praying and associates um, path, you've, you've, you've gone down and continue to go down is there is there any any wisdom that you'd like to share with with the audience? Any any um, uh, 
points of advice that that uh, you wish you'd known then that you know now that would might be helpful to an aspiring entrepreneur or or somebody who is uh, looking for inspiration in whatever it is that they're doing. Um, well, that's a good that's a good question. I mean, I've enjoyed what I've done. You know, I, I look back at things. I mean, there's things that, um, you know, like maybe embracing technology a little bit more. Uh, you know, people said, let me maybe rephrase it. What would I have changed today or what, you know, and I look at some firms that uh, started about the same time we did, who are a lot bigger. And what they've had is a leader who is a manager. I enjoy search. I enjoy doing it because I enjoy people. Right. And if I've, if my fault is I get too deeply involved in what I do for clients because I enjoy it and I want them satisfied. And that's a problem. I mean, I th as Stephen said, I think, you know, we are the best in global energy specialist firm out there. I mean, some of the big, you know, the big bulge bracket firms, Shrek's as they call them, have energy practices, with, you know, within them. But I'll, as Stephen said, our network uh, going back, our data set, you know, I think is second to none. And that's what we bring people. What we are not is the big firms. It's kind of like buying IBM. We recently um, were asked by a, a large pipeline company to help them. And they called, I think, four firms in, including us. And the chairman who we got to know, he said, I really like what you're doing, but this, it was a products pipeline company, which it was a joint venture for other companies. They decided to go with one of the other firms. No one got, got fired for buying IBM. You know, we're, we're kind of like, remember the old days, Avis, we have to try harder. Right. That's kind of, that's been what we, what we've tried to be in all our life or the Apple against IBM and, you know, I don't want to say we're the Mac of executive executive search because we use that. You know, we're we're not uh, a Mac based thing other than our Apple iPhones. Although we do have one 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 of our guys loves a Mac computer and he uses it. Although he gives us problems with it, but uh, I don't know. That's I don't know if David, if I'm answering it, absolutely. It's, yeah. it's you know, be passionate about what you're doing, love what you're doing, but do take time to take a step back which I probably not have done as much as I want and think about where are you going and, you know, and what is, and, you know, and do a plan every year. And, th and that's it. We've been so forward, you know, going and we get busy at the end of the year, new searches come in and we don't stop and take the time to smell the roses. When you say do a planner, are you talking about a personal plan or a business plan? A business plan. I mean, just, Hey, where are we going this year? What are we go doing? Where's the industry going? Instead of, you know, be, a little more proactive. We've tried to be that way. We may not have been as much as we have in the past. We've been very reactive. Clients say jump, you say how high on the way up. We're in the service business yeah. and that's part of it. But uh, but I, I think someone's just got to think about, you know, what are we doing to differentiate ourselves? So that, and like I said earlier, what can we do today so that when it's too late tomorrow, we don't have to do it. Yeah, I think Let me, I'll add one thing. and. Obviously, I have not been in the business 40 years, uh, but I've been around it pretty much 40 years since I'm celebrating 42nd birthday next month. Um, but I'd say one of the things that we've done uh, 
forever, the firm was on Dave's shoulders from revenue generation, execution. And what we've done to get better is add some talent around him, not self-serving talking about myself, but some of the others that we've mentioned today. Obviously, Ralph's been there a long time, as well as some other partners that have been in the firm and the left. And I guess what I would tell entrepreneurs who are listening to this is you can't do it all by yourself. Yeah. And so if you, you, know, you surround yourself with talented people, it's going to make your job easier to go do more. You know, listen to what Aron said the other day in, in his podcast. I mean, you can only be as good as the people you surround yourself with. And um, I think we've done a good job as that as a firm, which is positioning us what I think for a great another 40 years. Well, so I'm going to let you um, say one thing, too. You have to give it's got to be a good answer. You can't give me a cliche answer. It's what is this is this is the moment on the couch that just it closes the podcast down. What is the thing that you've learned the most from working with David? Um, That's a great question. See, I told you this is how we're the this the is spot. the best podcast. Um, yeah, and you got to come up with something that really brings it to the people. Yeah, <laughs> do, I need, do I need to go outside? Yeah, you, yeah. It's, he's going to get emotional here. So Ear, earmuffs. This, no, could, um, this could impact wheels and everything. So think long <laughs> and hard. I would say it's hard to say there's one answer specifically for that, but. Uh, the thing that sticks out the most is the passion and the hard work. He, there's nobody that outworks him or is more passionate about this business than he is. Um, I inspire to have that. You know, if I get to that level someday, um, I don't know. I mean, it's tough to do because he keeps it. He runs red all the yeah. time, 100%. He refuses to fail his clients, um, you know, so he wants to do. 110 percent on every on every job um it's uh it's infectious it's great to see it's hard to keep up with at the right. same time we'll have laura on here next and we'll see if she gives us a better answer than that too and we'll just we'll weigh the answers next to each other and, and just see where we're going here but no it is it's a great deal you guys are uh as a you know david and we talked off air on air we see you guys really all over the country you guys are doing a great job you have placed some of the biggest names out there. Uh, you know, I know that that's a very private thing that people don't talk about in your world, which is as it should be. But um, I think, David, you're going to be amazed how many people are going to email you or call you about your participation on the podcast. It is it is growing. We are doubling an audience every month. Um, it is worldwide. So I hope this does bring you good candidates, good diverse candidates, good females, good people of color, just, just things to make our industry better. The Oil Field 360 podcast truly is designed, you know, one, we had some people in here earlier today just asking us about the podcast. And the question was, you know, brought up many months right when we started this, how are you going to make money in this? And Dave and I were like, well, we don't really, that's not the goal. The goal is to tell stories uh, about how great the industry is and see if we can make it better. So I hope that you're able to, that it gets you some exposure to Prang and Associates uh, where you guys can, um, just get more candidates, get more business and, and help move the industry forward. On that note, we want to let people know how to get a hold of you. How should people contact Prang and Associates? What's your email or, or website address? If you go to www.prang, that's P-R-E-N-G.com, uh, you can reach us there. Uh, I believe we have all of our consultants, partners, uh, direct dials on there. So you can reach out depending on which specific uh, part of the industry you're in, whether it's the operating side, the service and equipment, engineering, construction, power, utility, uh, find the, uh, the right consultant for you and reach out and, and make contact. We'd be happy to talk to you. And I, I'll, I'll leave with one more point and kind of goes back to your question. Okay. Um, one thing my dad said to me 
very on, early on in this business is spend time each day with somebody that has, you know, maybe not specific to a search, but just help somebody each day, spending 30 minutes a day, whether it's helping somebody write a uh, resume or it's, you know, helping somebody, uh, putting them in contact with somebody. And that's, you know, that kind of pay it forward attitude might be the answer to the question you asked me a, a little while ago is really what, you know, impresses me or what strikes me as, as one of the most impressive things. And, and it's really um, come back to, to, to benefit the firm in a number of ways. We've had a number of clients that have called up and said, hey, you might not remember helping me write my resume three years ago, but now I'm CEO of so-and-so ah, and I need to bring in a team. Uh, and they always go back to this guy. So uh, it's quite impressive. You know, one last one last thing, you know, you mentioned, Josh, that, you know, Stephen and Laura in the business. I've had another son that was in the business. We've had another family member in the business. Uh, my wife, whose parents came over here from Italy, we met, married, um, I'll say 51 years this year. And Congratulations. Uh, she yeah. was. Yeah, I was 16, she was 14. And anyway, she- <laughs> Different times. You know, she's my partner, the better half. But one of the things that worked out very well, she, her education was to be a teacher, which she was. And, but one of the things that I got, got her to do um, was after we got started, was to, was to do, become our CFO. And she did that for what, 20, five, 26 years. And what it, what it did, she understood because she wrote the checks and, you know, checked expense accounts and all this. She helped, uh, she understood what we, what I did, what the firm did and was a big part to help make it happen. And it was her partnership running the family which allowed me to do what I to do to go free and because and but giving her that knowledge and bringing her into the, you know the understanding of what we did on a day to day basis was probably one of the best things that I that I ever so did. So I I sometimes say ask a question like that. It's it's gone over well before, and other times we've had to edit out answers to it. But you know, to me, I I can completely immediately relate to that comment of, you know, it, what, what I'm hearing from you is that you had the support that you needed where, to go with the passion, to go with almost the whatever it takes mentality that she, you knew that you were going to, I've got to go do this. Great. Then go do it. And uh, I just, I love hearing stories like that. Congratulations on 51 years. That's, thank you. That's not a 40 years in the business, 51 years in a marriage. That's, those are impressive numbers. So, and this is an impressive podcast. I don't know what you were expecting. I, it's just, I've really enjoyed it. Uh, David, do you have anything to? No, I just appreciate you coming on. I've always held you in high regard and always been impressed by by you and your firm. And uh, I think it's great to have you on here and your stories. I mean, literally, we could we could be talking here, yeah, all night long and all week long. Have quite frankly, so yeah, yeah, yeah Mr. Marquez, I do apologize. The uh, the tequila is gone. But so on that note, David, I'm going to shut us down here. Yeah, shut us down. This is uh, this has been another. Great addition. Just real quick, lastly, thank you to the Praying and Associates for your partnership. Like you guys Thanks have been supporters us. from the very beginning. So just uh, we do appreciate that very much. Thank you. Um, this is the Oilfield 360 podcast coming to you 
for the first official podcast from the Fletcher Hazel Tequila Podcast Studio in Houston. Um, if you have any questions, you can look us up at uh, oilfield360.com. Uh, any complaints, send those to david at oilfield360.com. Any mail that says this is the best thing you've ever heard, send to josh at oilfield360.com. Uh, Jonathan, as usual, you're the best back there. We appreciate it. All of our partners, all of our sponsors are available on our LinkedIn. Uh, we encourage you to, to look them up and give them a shout. And if you have any questions, concerns, Praying Associates, good luck to you guys. Good luck to your entire family, your entire business. Good luck helping shape the industry in the next set of directors and CISA, uh, you know, leadership that has to come into the business. So I know that's a difficult task. Uh, on that note, David, always great to see you. Welcome back. Good luck with that crawling baby. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I saw you about to make fun of my socks and shoelaces. Pink, I look pink shoelaces today, ladies. I look great. I look great. That's it. Thank you very much. Thank Good luck. You. Yep. This episode of the Oilfield 360 podcast was brought to you by the following companies. EIV Capital, a growth equity-focused private equity firm, which has been providing capital to the North American energy industry since 2009. The team has extensive experience across the entire energy value chain. We invite you to visit EIVCapital.com and learn how we partner with entrepreneurs to build businesses. Merit Advisors, crafting holistic tax solutions to improve your cash flow and add profit back to your bottom line. When it comes to state and local taxes, Merit is the expert in the oil and gas industry. Visit MeritAdvisor.com. World Oil, for more than 103 years, World Oil has provided global decision makers with coverage of the latest market intelligence and technological advances relating to the upstream oil and gas industry. To subscribe and learn more about these essential resources, please visit worldoil.com slash subscribe. Thank you to our sponsors, Simmons Energy, a division of Piper Sandler, SimmonsPSC.com, Lockton Global Energy and Marine, Lockton.com, Tomahawk Safety, TomahawkSafety.com, Prang & Associates, Prang.com, Daniel Energy Partners, DanielEP.com, EIV Capital, EIVCapital.com, Galtway Marketing, GaltwayMarketing.com, Range Valuation Services, RangeValuationServices.com, Merit Advisors, MeritAdvisor.com, World Oil, WorldOil.com, Fletcha Azul Tequila, FletchaAzulTequila.com. For more information on today's guest and to learn more about our sponsors, please follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, or at oilfield360.com. Piper Sandler Companies, NYSE PIPR, is a leading investment bank and institutional securities firm driven to help clients realize the power of partnership. Securities brokerage and investment banking services are offered in the U.S. through Piper Sandler & Company, member SIPC and FINRA, and Europe through Piper Sandler Limited, authorized and regulated by the Securities and Futures Commission. Asset management products and services are offered through four separate investment advisory affiliates, U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, SEC-registered Piper Sandler Investment Management, LLC, PJC Capital Partners, LLC, and Piper Sandler and & Company, and Guernsey-based Parallel General Partners Limited, authorized and regulated by the Guernsey Financial Services Commission. Simmons Energy, a division of Piper Sandler, are the energy specialists of Piper Sandler.